Chapter 2. When the Waves Begin to Crash Blitzkrieg, the German word for lightning warfare, was put on display to the world for the first time in 1939, when mechanized forces supported by air power crashed through the Arden Forest, it split the Allied forces in two and captured the elusive Great War Prize of Paris in a matter of six weeks. In hindsight, one would say it was obvious that the Japanese were taking notes of the Nazi success. But we often forget that it is one thing when it happens to your neighbor. It is a completely different state to consider it could ever happen to you. Bolstered by their success at Pearl, and with the giant wounded in one eye, Tojo began his six months of glorious advance. In a series of deployments and landing which would make Hitler blush, the Japanese captured the Commonwealth Fortress in Singapore, the American bases in the Philippines, the riches of the Dutch East Indies, and collapsed the British lines in Burma. The Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere was well on its way to becoming a reality. Philippines Lieutenant, are you religious? he asked me. No, sir, not particularly, I answered. Then he said, I think you better give your soul to God, because your ass belongs to the Japanese. In less than 24 hours after the events of Pearl Harbor, the Blitz of the Pacific was in full swing. American and Filipino forces under Douglas MacArthur were not outnumbered, but lacked experience compared to the Japanese veterans. As a result, MacArthur decided to tactically retreat to a new defensive position on the Bataan Peninsula, where he intended to resist the Japanese forces until reinforcements arrived. Low on ammunition and reeked by malnutrition, dysentery, and malaria, his forces remarkably repelled three amphibious landings before MacArthur finally agreed to leave under the personal direction of FDR. MacArthur handed command to General Skinny Wainwright, who would oversee the final defense and later surrender of Bataan as reinforcements promised never came in time. He and his men would remain prisoners of war until August 1945, suffering the living nightmare of the Bataan Death March. It was also worth noting that this was a personal blow for MacArthur. It was now he who oversaw the greatest surrender in U.S. history, a legacy he wished to rectify. When he finally landed in Australia, he made his famous promise, I came through and I shall return. Were the battling bastards of Bataan, no mama, no papa, no Uncle Sam, no aunts, no uncles, no nephews, no nieces, no rifles, no planes, or artillery pieces, and nobody gives a damn. In no way can this book fully encapsulate every atrocity which took place in the Pacific Theater, so I will limit myself to only a few accounts. Imagine you are a soldier one of the lucky ones that had not yet contracted malaria and not starved to death because you and your buddies found enough monkeys to eat in the jungle during the Japanese offensives. You are part of 80,000 close-to-death POWs who will now be marched 30 kilometers to a train station, at which you will then be crammed into a box of cars for an additional 100 kilometers journey to Camp O'Donnell. The enemy has been brought up on a diet of military beatings and whose handbook clearly states that surrender is a fate worse than death. 
The enemy believes you are a coward waiting for death to free you and have no reservations about seeking revenge after weeks of fighting. What is worse, they hope most of you don't make it. They only planned for 40,000, so at least half of you are a major inconvenience. You march in line shoulder to shoulder, carrying your buddy who can no longer stand or control his bowels. You have seen what they do to the weak ones, the ones that cannot run on command. Bullets to the brain, swords slashing to the shoulders, or perhaps a beating followed by decapitation if the officers are in a really foul mood. It's been 20 kilometers and your buddy finally drops as the malaria and dehydration grips him. A Japanese officer wearing a West Point ring taken from the sliced-off finger of an American captain takes the shaking man, you, and the other soldier out of the line. He tells you to dig a shallow grave for your friend to be buried alive in. The two of you refuse. The Japanese officer, without warning, shoots the man kneeling in the dirt next to you and then pulls another man out of line to dig the now-required two holes. You follow the orders and buried your terrified friend alive. This is just one of the eyewitness accounts from the Bataan Death March, an event that showed the true sadistic reality of ethnocentric warfare, which would come to foreshadow the Holocaust and other crimes against humanity. Hong Kong and Singapore after 18 days of combat, on a day that would become known as Black Christmas, Hong Kong became the first base to fall within the triumvirate of Commonwealth strongholds. Its garrison and local inhabitants, in a fate that would later befall Manila and Singapore, fell to a Japanese bluff, amplified by tremendous speed and ferocity. My attack on Singapore was a bluff, a bluff that worked. I had 30,000 men and was outnumbered more than 3 to 1. I knew if I had to fight long for Singapore, I would be beaten. That is why the surrender had to be at once. I was very frightened all the time that the British would discover our numerical weakness and lack of supplies and force me into disastrous street fighting. This quote from General Tomoyuki Yamashita, Japanese commander in Singapore, gives us a peek behind the curtain of the true nature of the Japanese juggernaut. Like a wild animal fainting its true size, the Japanese forces planned to intimidate first and worry about maintaining control later. 130,000 Commonwealth troops were abandoned by its overseers in London shortly after the campaign began, and the largest British naval and military base in the Asia-Pacific was lost. Again, the Japanese were supported by complacency, as well as a war on two fronts. Churchill was willing to sacrifice the South Pacific, including Australia, for the defense of the motherland, and was even further down the list of places to defend than North Africa, Greece, and India. An empire stretching from the Arctic to the Antarctic. Different levels of ability amongst the Allied forces and poor communication between air, land, and sea forces resulted in the utterly one-sided Battle of the Java Sea. Allied forces lost over 2,300 sailors, compared to the Japanese, 36, and 10 ships were sunk after the Japanese successfully jammed the radio frequencies of all but one Allied ship. From there, the Japanese waves swept over Borneo, the Java mainland, and Sumatra. Burma, which is now modern-day Myanmar, 
would be the next to swiftly fall after the Japanese invaded via Thailand in December 1941. Its strategic importance was the city of Rangoon, which, once occupied on March 8th, cut the last major supply line to Chinese resistance fighters. It is also worth noting that some 4,000 British troops lost their lives in the five-month-long retreat to India, where over a half million civilians also fled in terrible conditions. About 10,000 of them would not make the journey. Finally, without the defense of the combined American, British, Dutch, and Australian fleet, the entire Dutch East Indies swiftly fell under Japanese control. Tojo had achieved his nation's great ambition in a matter of months. They had purged the South Pacific of all but the Australians, gained control of all of the world's industrial rubber, 70% of its tin, huge oil reserves, and a new gigantic slave-based workforce. Unfortunately for Tojo, as we will see in the coming chapters, it's only an empire if you can keep it.